From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, please visit lean.org. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Andrew Winkle, president of United Plastic Fabricating, otherwise known as UPF. Andrew is second-generation leadership of UPF, having taken over as president in mid-2016. In the podcast, we'll talk about how Andrew has led UPF through a lean transformation driven by action-based problem-solving. We'll talk about problem-solving at the work level and problem-solving at the strategic level. With that, let's get started. I'm here with Andrew Lingle, president of United Plastic Fabricating. And uh, I guess uh, before we get started here, I'd like to just thank Andrew for for joining me here on What's the Problem? And uh, maybe just to provide an opportunity to to share a brief overview of the business so uh, folks have an understanding of what we're going to be talking about. So uh, Andrew, can you tell us a little bit about United Plastic Fabricating? Sure, Matt. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me, and I appreciate the uh, opportunity. Um, So United Plastic Fabricating uh, specializes in the manufacturing of polypropylene uh, sheet into various products. It can be used as a material substitution for stainless steel, aluminum, fiberglass, wood, and laminates, as well as uh, sort of replacing uh, molds if you need something that's a little stronger or that the cost of the mold is sort of prohibitive versus the run that you need. So a lot of our products are uh, more custom in nature and change. And really where our core business and how we got started is in uh, building uh, water tanks for fire trucks. And if uh, if people want to learn more, they can visit us at uh, www.unitedplastic.com. What I'd like to kind of get started with is kind of going back in time, I guess about three, three and a half years when you took over the company as president. So uh, UPF, as it's known, is a family business. Your, your father founded the business about 30 or so years ago, and uh, you took over second generation uh, just a few years ago. And uh, that's not an easy thing. Um, and you made it harder because you made a decision to not just uh, you know, take over as, as new leadership, but change the way the organization would be managed. Uh, adopting a lean thinkers approach to management and we'll get to that in just a bit but uh, I'm curious you know when you first started in that new role tell us maybe a little bit about what what you were facing that first week or so Uh, yeah uh, so you know kind of looking back it's uh, sort of a challenge because you're you're sort of faced with all these areas that have been successful uh, in the past and for one reason or the other maybe aren't as successful now as they used to be. Uh, But, you know, you're dealing with a lot of people that have been doing work uh, the same way for a long time. And you're sort of alone in this sort of idea that I think work can be done in a different way, in a different manner and uh, requires sort of different thinking. Uh, And knowing that you're not going to get necessarily buy-in right away, and and where do you have to start? 
and also looking at the current challenges, um, you know, how do you focus when you only have so much bandwidth? And I, I think that's sort of the, the challenge of, of, you know, sort of where you're at with that, which is, you know, what can I do right now to sort of start moving the, uh, the needle forward versus uh, what opportunities there are? Cause the opportunities are you know, numerous. Yeah. So you're kind of a man, a lone man on an Island. Lone man on a lean island. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Trying to figure out uh, how to bring people along. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about how the nature of, of approaching problems and problem solving has evolved at UPF over the course of, of that three, three and a half years. Yeah. I, you know, I think Matt, kind of looking back on... Um, how it started, you sort of knew the problems we wanted that we were facing, which was, you know, uh, maybe the financial health of the organization is, is not where it needs to be. Uh, we also had issues around uh, warranty costs and exposure. We offer a lifetime warranty on our products. So that's a, a big area. Um, you know, and those some, were... might get some customers out of that. Uh... Yeah, that one right there. Lifetime exactly. Guarantee. Yeah. So, you know, so those are sort of the big areas. And I think as, as you sort of start and say, hey, there's a different way of thinking. And, and to your point, maybe my thinking not fully formalized as, it, you know, the training basically came from uh, reading a lot of materials about uh, lean manufacturing and trying to figure out how that applies to what we're doing. You know, you'd you may fall into that trap about, hey, you know, here's the problems, but hey, here's all the things we can do. How do I sort of become lean? You know, maybe I need standard work or I need to put up these boards or we should create U-shaped cells or, you know, we got a 5S. That's, that's the, you know, for sure what we have to do. And, and you, you sort of start uh, doing sort of all these sort of works, but really unsure about what the purpose is and, and how it actually um, relates to, actually moving those needles that we talked about. You're, you're pretty sure it will be better, but you're really, you're not sure why, except uh, somebody in a book said, hey, you should probably have really good standard work. And that, that's sort of the extent. And I think over time that is, is really evolved um, to, you know, kind of going through our first value stream mapping exercise uh, with our coach, Carl Ohaus, uh, and um, sort of looking at how, um, how our, our, our current processes um, created a lot of challenges, not just on the shop floor where primary our focus had been before, but how the upstream processes and customer service and engineering and purchasing were creating uh, such variations and issues that if you only focused on the shop floor, you, would, you wouldn't really be able to make any impact at all. So um, it sounds like maybe starting off with doing sort of lean for lean sake, mm. uh, lean for the purpose of doing lean. We've heard standardized work is a good thing. So let's do some standardized work. We've heard that 5S is good. So let's put up some shadow boards and clean up the tools, yep. but um, not actually doing that stuff towards solving a real problem. And so uh, you mentioned Carl Ohaus, who's been your coach, helping the organization maybe take a step back and first frame up, okay, what problem are we really trying to solve here? And doing that at first, as you mentioned, through a value stream map. In that case, with the 
key functions of the organization, sales, engineering, production. And as a group, making it clear, okay, here are the real challenges that present themselves to the organization. How do we go about solving them? So kind of transitioning for just doing stuff for the sake of lean to doing stuff for the, for the purpose of solving a problem. Yeah. You know, so from that, you know, exercise, uh, you know, you, you saw a lot of, uh, unsure people in terms of whose responsibility certain items were. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of, uh, surprise about how long, uh, you know, using Little's law, <laughs> uh, inventory we had into the system, how long it would take us to empty it all out as well as, uh, complete and accurate um, the, the fact that basically a single job could not actually make it through our, our process without having to be reworked at one of the steps through customer service design or manufacturing was pretty surprising uh, I think to the members in the group and it helped um, I think realize the areas in which we needed to focus first um, and with the understanding of why to begin begin that work. You know, as, as, a, as a leader, what was your approach to helping people understand that it wasn't about, uh, we weren't trying to figure out who's responsible for the rework. We're trying to figure out what, what processes are responsible for that rework. How, how, did, how did you create an environment where that sort of problem solving could even be introduced? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I think first thing is that how do you, you know, in that value stream, you, you've sort of brought different people together uh, to kind of look at it. But I, you know, I think there's this sort of balance on um, can you can you try to get people to think their way into a new way of working or do you have to work your way into a new way of thinking? <clears throat> and we've often uh, discussed this about it's it's probably sort of a balance of both. Now I've I probably shy more towards uh, you know the work your way into a new way of thinking that at, at some point uh, to get them unstuck you actually just have to kind of do it for them and, and show and kind of fix some of the problems that maybe they don't agree with and demonstrate that it has the actual benefit and then that starts to get them to see the new way of thinking but if you had them sort of locked in the room and said, hey, just really think about this a long time about <laughs> how we're doing it, if it makes sense. I don't think that they could ever get themselves out of the, the trees to see the forest, right? That at some point you have to un unstuck them and then it sort of starts opening their minds a little bit more. So it's this sort of balance. And then there's sort of this third caveat in that, which is versus kind of going back to what we already know works or doesn't work, but we're comfortable in that. And well, that's sort of this tension that exists in almost everywhere you go when you're trying to get them to start uh, working in a new manner. And in the right kind of action. So, um, you know, um, back to your earlier point about uh, you could do 5S for 5S sake, but if 5S doesn't help anybody, then they're just going to see it as another thing that they have to do because they were told mm. to do it. But uh, taking action that feels like help because yeah. it's actually solving a problem um to uh kind of demonstrate this this is a worthwhile thing to to do and engage yourselves in i mean is, is there is there an example that comes to mind about um an early effort to even a small one to demonstrate um 
help through action? So I think a, a good example, Matt, would be sort of at our um, customer service to engineering handoff. Um, in the current process, a customer would submit a drawing because uh, they're usually custom that needs to be uh, quoted by the customer service group. In some cases, not even quoted, just sort of processed for orders. Uh, they would enter it into the, the, the computer system and it would go up to the design group, in which case they would then uh, kind of make the design for manufacturing. And then all that paperwork would come back to customer service to see what has changed or what might be different and also correct any sort of mistakes maybe the mm -hmm. customer service rep had made on the initial um, quote. And then they'd have to go back to either the customer and say, hey, this is what's changed. You owe us more money. Or maybe in some cases, uh, some money comes off. Inevitably, there would be sort of issues, too, that sometimes they would not agree with the, hey, I owe you more money. So one of the steps we did was to sort of change that check process to actually prior to it going to uh, design. So now the uh, quote or order would come in. The sales rep would enter it into the computer uh, system. Then it would go to the checker who would review it for accuracy, make any corrections, in which case then they would update it and send the quote to a customer or update the actual order up to design. Um, and around that, there was a lot of uh, anxiety about that change. Although mm -hmm. the work theoretically didn't change that much from the checker's perspective, it was, well, how will you know uh, if engineering changes anything and capture it? And you had to sort of have them start problem solving within that new work mm. about, well, how would you handle that workflow? How would you want customer service to know? What do you want uh, design to tell you guys so that it will trigger you to do another review and how not to review other things that haven't changed? And the fact was um, they'd want to go back and it was sort of mm. <laughs> encompassing that you wouldn't let them and you'd have to have them problem solve around why, what the issue was that they wanted to go back for because we still wanted to capture the benefits of why we moved it to the, to the front of the process. So uh, that rework loop between sales and engineering and yeah, kind of a stubbornness on your part to say, uh, no, we're not going to go back to the old way and you can justify the stubbornness because there's a genuine problem that you can point to of this mm -hmm. rework between sales and engineering and um there's there's a there's a reality uh to ground everybody in mm -hmm. and while it may be hard to shift people to a new way of working uh, at least you can align people on the fact that a problem exists. So something needs to be done about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one, one, one area where, so I get up to UPF, I don't know, probably been up there about three times mm -hmm. a year for the past couple of years, maybe a little bit more than that. And uh, something that is always evolving. So you just spoke to uh, uh, the, up, the upstream process of, of customer service, moving into engineering from engineering. Once the design is complete, it gets moved to production where people are tasked to manufacture what the engineers have, have drawn up. And, uh, you know, one of the most lively places in the organization over the past couple of years has been that shop floor 
every mm-hmm. time I go, there's always change happening on the floor. And uh, actually, kind of a funny thing happened where uh, you guys hit some targets. Actually, not targets. You, you broke records um, over the summer, and uh, you printed T-shirts uh, sort of uh, announcing, or not announcing, but celebrating what you guys had done throughout the Kaizen, only to break the target again the following month, <laughs> rendering those T-shirts pretty, pretty useless. Um, but... You know, again, sort of. Um, where do you think the the what? Where do you think the the change in mindset started on the shop floor? Can you point to uh, again, similar to what you just described, an, an action towards solving a problem that has now sort of snowballed into almost continuous change on the floor? Yeah. Um, you know, I think around that. Uh, issue Matt uh, shop floor I think it's always a lot easier to see waste than the office so I think it's easier to kind of get them to uh, see it and uh, maybe do some action around it versus uh, office work I've, I've found office work has been far more difficult uh, to get uh, people to understand and embrace mm. uh, on the manufacturing floor you know I think once again it sort of evolved over time from um, sort of early on this idea of just sort of, uh, it's kind of going to loop, uh, watching the work and saying, Hey, uh, that, that's kind of crazy. What can we do to improve that? We should move this, you know, hinge punch closer to the operators walking halfway across the shop and kind of knowing that when you're doing this, there is no real return on investment. There's mm. going to be no noticeable uh, impact to, um, profitability. It's just, makes the work less burdensome and it's things you got to do to start changing the mindset that improving stuff is okay. And I think from the larger change, I think what occurred was in July, our our plant manager here had left and I was encouraged to sort of take up that role responsibility myself. Mm. As I I was finding it difficult to get uh, the plants sort of run the experiments that I, I felt needed to happen, uh, in which case it was how do we uh, create a flow on the production floor within our work elements. And, and although we'd probably been experimenting for many years on different uh, layouts, uh, we were not having any luck. So taking that opportunity allowed me to get really, really close to the work and understand uh, the challenges around that and be able to be supportive as we implemented these things to help um, problem solve because they probably did not have the capabilities themselves at that time. And if, if I wasn't there, it would have fallen apart. Um, and, you know, I think that goes back to at some level you have to do to get them into a new way of thinking that, you know, the previous amounts of attempts was trying to get them to think their way like I was on how you would go about it. And it really wasn't going to get there. So kind of going to the production floor and then saying, here's how we're going to uh, create a flow production uh, line process. And then as we, as we have that, how that actually helps you identify problems and how we're setting it up is to actually see the problems easier to help us then uh, problem solve in, in each station in each uh, work element and uh, bring that 
uh, sort of to the conclusion, which then produces those sort of results. And then kind of zoom back out again and relook at, okay, you know, what are those next um, challenges? So kind of a couple things there. Um, the idea of, you know, just go ahead and do it. You know, if you see uh, a bit of waste or a lot of waste that can be easily resolved through something as simple as moving a tool, then um, don't waste time in, in figuring out what will be the return on investment of, of moving or purchasing a tool. Just go ahead and do it. And uh, the act of helping somebody, sure, it may not deliver money back to the organization, but it may get that person to just appreciate the help and maybe begin thinking themselves about, oh, what else could be changed around here? But mm -hmm. then also, you know, um, yeah, you mentioned, uh, you're a very humble guy, but um, when your plant manager departed, you you took on the responsibility of of figuring out, like you said, how to create flow in the production facility by essentially becoming the plant manager as an mm -hmm. opportunity to to assign yourself responsibility for, for figuring that out, mm -hmm. uh, learning by doing a series of experiments. Your transition in thinking, and not just your transition in, in thinking, but trying to get the whole organization uh, to transform their thinking from uh, thinking their way to a new way of thinking and acting your way to a new way of thinking. And the other day we were having a conversation where you mentioned... Uh, you went off to a local company uh, not far away from UPF uh, to just have an opportunity to go to a different Gemba, observe, perhaps learn some things. And uh, you mentioned that you were asking yourself uh, during that visit, you know, how would, how would I, having spent the last few years figuring out things at UPF, if I were to begin here at this company, how would I go about a lean transformation and um, know, can you can you tell us about that visit and and your response to your own question sure uh, you know so kind of going to visit and, and seeing and learning and, and one of the things that is sort of interesting is to to obviously go and visit other uh, gembas and, and, and learn and what you can take away and, and this was a case really where they'd sort of been at their lean transformation I think for for 10 years I believe and um, you know, there wasn't a lot of, uh, indications, uh, I guess, uh, of the sort of success around that there was sort of a lot of relics of, I, I think failed or partly started or ended, uh, programs and the like, as you kind of walk through it and, and it was really good words and things like this. Yeah, exactly. Stuff, yep. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, it allows you to give good reflection about, A, how easily that you could fall into that and maybe where are you already falling into that. Uh, mm. You know, if, you know, one of the, you know, if there's a sign that says, um, hey, this, uh, you know, the if this door is open, make sure the screen's down and there's no screen down and, and you really have two options and it's just, why is there no screen down? Well, we don't actually have a screen. Well, you either have to remove the sign or buy a screen, but you can't can't have both up. And, you know, those are sort of some of those things that I think exist in everyone's shop floors that we sort of don't ever finish that loop. And um, sort of that reflection on where would I start kind of goes back to that, that simple point about watching the work being performed and then uh, improving it. So there was an operation where uh, 
uh, one of the workers has to um, sort of put uh, a sort of a jug uh, and put a, a, a lid back onto a, a, a jug of uh, material. Mm-hmm. And I witnessed him take the palm of his hand and, and slam it, you know, four or five times to put the lid back on. Mm. And so I thought to myself, really, where I would start my lean transformation is I'd buy that man a hammer. <laughs> and it's so simple, yet I, I think people really miss that part that it doesn't need to be, uh, you know, there didn't need to be a three-day three Kaizen event around buying the man a hammer. You need to do an ROI on buying the man a hammer. And, and you didn't, you know, you don't need to do a value stream map or, you know, around it. It's just really watching the work and, and, and saying, you know, how do you make it better? Now, once you buy the hammer, you might need to, need to figure out how do you keep it so it stops wandering away. And that's going to be a different problem to solve. But, you know, I think those start um, the change in mindsets about how things can be different because maybe for the last 10 years, uh, you use the palm of your hand to put the palm. lid on. To put, the, put the lid on. Put the lid on. And in fact, maybe uh, if you don't, you're a really poor operator because good operators know how to hit it at the right angle with the hmm. right palm pressure. <laughs> that makes them really good at their job. Just buy them a hammer. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the idea of... Yeah. It's funny, the balance between how complex some of this can be and how simple some of this can be. Yes. But I think um, that idea of changing changing behaviors or getting people to understand, it's uh, a series of simple actions like that that will mm-hmm. at least get people to think, well, this isn't a bad way of working. You know, I'm no longer banging my hand against a hard piece of plastic. I have a tool to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so far we've been talking primarily about uh, work level problems, uh, how to change how work is done uh, to go about a lean transformation. But there's uh, a different kind of problem that all organizations face that is higher than the work level, and that's the strategic level. You know, as an organization, how do you define your purpose? What value will you deliver to customers? And Andrew, you you went about transformation, not just at the work level, but also how to go about organizing that strategic purpose that, uh, in this case, uh, a Hushin process mm. uh, to go about uh, defining purpose and aligning the organization. Can you tell us you know, how, how, that has, uh, how, how that has evolved and how it works what, what, and what it has done um, to help UPF? Sure. You know, I think uh, kind of going back to the the first one we did in, in 2017, you know, we probably went about it by doing a SWOT analysis and, and kind of each department looking at different uh, activities they wanted to achieve. And, you know, we really ended up with this, uh, you know, we had sort of our five-year and 10-year breakthroughs and these sort of targets and goals and, and all these activities that I think sounded really cool and really good and and probably by the end of it, we um, didn't really move the needle at all in terms of any of those sort of breakthroughs. Uh, and all those activities, maybe some got done, some didn't, and our maybe attainment was in you know, the 20%. And we took a, a different approach in 2018 to the, that Hoshin in which we spent a lot of time sort of defining organizational purpose. 
and then uh, around that purpose, what sort of top line metric uh, represents, uh, would help meet those purposes? And how would we track that? And then, uh, so for example, uh, you know, one of our purposes is, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to make sure that we stay in business. So profitability uh, might be uh, uh, one of the key purposes. So we used a, a ship dollar per hour metric. The other one was to, re you know, reduce warranty costs um, from a provide a defect free to our customers. Mm. And, you know, we came up with two metrics. Uh, we didn't want to go too much further than that. Once again, when you, you want to make sure that you don't overwhelm your, uh, your outrun your ability to solve problems and, and get things done. So we really kept it simple at those two. We wanted to figure out how to increase the ship dollar per hour and reduce our warranty costs. And through that, each, each department, uh, would sort of align uh, with other metrics, which metrics they would have to improve that would actually make an impact on that higher one. So what we found from the previous Hoshin in, in 2017 was a lot of your activities actually fought against each other. So maybe maybe you said something like, hey, it'd be really good if sales got to more sales. And so sales uh, has a really great idea how to bring in more sales. They'll just sell it cheap and they'll get more sales. And then we task engineering with maybe, hey, uh, how do you um, reduce some warranty costs engineering? And they go, I have a great plan. We'll just add a bunch more parts to make it stronger. And then finally, you tell uh, manufacturing, hey, I want you to increase your ship dollar per hour. So meanwhile, customer service is giving them cheaper products and engineering is adding more parts. And you've mm. told them to increase their ship dollar per hour. And your net result is nothing actually occurs. Mm. Um, versus saying, nope, it's everyone's job to increase ship dollar per hour, which means um, engineering, I want you to figure out how to uh, remove parts while still uh, making sure it's you know, functional. I want uh, customer service to review accounts that are underneath the threshold and, and really look at why are we selling them uh, at that rate. Uh, manufacturing, you need to figure out how to improve your output. Uh, you know, maybe HR, we have to figure out turnover because that hurts manufacturing and, you know, uh, purchasing. We have to make sure we have no runouts and that will help our dollar per hour as well. And sort of through aligning um, everyone's activities to move that top level uh, objective, uh, the results have been really tremendous. And uh, just even when you don't even hit every target the fact that we're all rowing sort of in that same mm -hmm. direction we've mm -hmm. achieved both years uh, passing our what we thought were stretch goals which means we didn't stretch them i guess far enough and um and i think it it, it really helps um sort of see that power before how not having alignment around activities really uh, keeps you stuck there and sort of what we look back when you kind of do your hansai reflection is that um we achieved almost all the things we set out for in our 10 year breakthrough from that first ocean, which we didn't make any movement on in probably the two years of actually trying to uh, fulfill purpose. And uh, it's, it's been pretty neat to see that. Yeah. So starting with purpose, you know, as an organization, why are we all here? And then uh, defining that purpose in measurable terms. So mm -hmm. having two, high-level metrics, uh, ship dollar per hour, and uh, warranty claim costs. Mm -hmm. 
and then challenging each department, sales, engineering, manufacturing, what will be your contribution to these two objectives? Mm. And getting everybody, like you said, to sort of row uh, at the same pace in the same direction. So I guess um, it is January 28th. Are you guys on a calendar fiscal year? Yeah, I guess. So does that mean you are in the midst or have just wrapped up your strategic planning for the year? Yes, we uh, we we just uh, we we finished it. Uh, just sort of, uh, we'll have our uh, one of the things we did was we aligned it um, with our uh, uh, ISO uh, two thousand eight. So that's sort of a different story of how you operate different systems. Uh, so those are now aligned. So we'll uh, be wrapping up our uh, our two thousand nineteen stuff and then laying out the plan for 2020 uh, at our uh, management review meeting. And what is your sense of sort of the big problems that UPF will challenge itself to tackle? This yeah, year? yeah. So, uh, you know, around that, we, we still have um, sort of the, uh, the two goals have been carrying over, which is the ship dollar per hour, which we, you know, we have three different manufacturing facilities. So how to uh, uh, continue to deploy and get the other two uh, to the same rate. Uh, and then we also have uh, sort of from the warranty costs, we had done a really good job at actually mitigating uh, warranty costs, but um, we had missed a lot of the actual quality objectives. So we just got better at sort of planning and managing the repair work versus uh, re reducing defects. So, we, you know, we, we're staying there because I think we can still do a better job. And then mm -hmm. sort of the third one we added this year is as our um, capabilities uh, grow, we're going to run into a new challenge that we really have never really faced before, which is um, how will you um, fill in work if you've now created um, – more capacity in your plants. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, for basically our whole history, Matt, we've been really set up to sort of receive these um, orders for the fire industry and sort of process the orders. And now that might not be enough work, right? Hmm. So hmm. Uh, although we've done some smaller uh, stuff in the last uh, four years at growing this sort of non-fire tank sales to about 10% of our, our, our business, you know, how do we take that next leap and, and kind of now looking at we may have to create a whole new value stream that hasn't ever existed in mm. the organization around how do we uh, find and develop markets um, to to get into and then how do we uh, sell to those markets and make sure that it's the right side of stuff we want to do. You know, we don't want to do a sort of one off $500 project for our size. It doesn't really make sense. And, you know, how do you create a process that identifies uh, your future growth. Um, otherwise, you're, you always run the risk that, uh, you know, you don't want to people have continuous improve themselves out of jobs. Mm, so mm, as we build mm. capacity, we have to figure out how to, how, to, how to bring in different type of work and sales, which will lead to uh, more challenges and problems because um, they might not always fit maybe the same as your other work, right? So... Well, that's an exciting problem to have. Thank yeah. You. So, yeah, you and Carl are going to be at, uh, well, first, thanks again for joining us in California for the summit, Andrew. We're excited to have you guys. But, yeah, you and Carl, 
Carlo House, uh, gentleman who's been your coach for the past uh, couple of years, are going to be doing a session. Like like you said, on those those you've you've tried to distill the key components of at least what's happened at UPF into three things: knowledge, grit, and outrage. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Can you talk us through each one of those? Why why those three, and what do they mean? Yeah, I, I think, um, so what I've seen here is what re- kind of gets re- really good, fast transformation that kind of creates the bias for action, need for action is, is sort of those three elements. And, and they all sort of have to exist. Um, so, the, you know, the first is knowledge. Does the person have knowledge uh, and understanding of can the problem be solved and, and maybe an idea around how to solve the problem? Then they need to have sort of grit, which means that it's probably not going to go right the first, second, or third time, and I got to keep uh, working at it to make sure it's right. And then finally is the outrage that they have to be very dissatisfied with the current state of of the issue to want to actually flex it. So you could be dissatisfied, but if you lack the knowledge, you just assume it's the way it has to be. Um, you could have the knowledge, uh, but if and be dissatisfied satisfied but if you don't have the grit to persevere you once again you'll just sort of give up and um, you can have the knowledge and grit but if it doesn't bother you it's not going to move the needle to make you do something about it you know so if you if you sort of bring it back to that hammer example you know if it um, if there's no outrage that a man is smashing his hand into the the thing that wasn't a lot of you didn't need a lot of grit and you didn't need a lot of knowledge to solve that problem, but there really wasn't any outrage around how preposterous it was to have your employee smash his hand to put on a cover, right? And um, I think some of that is, is, is really imperative that when those things kind of exist, it, it gets people to start taking action. Mm. And if, if one of those elements is sort of lacking, um, it, it probably doesn't occur. And it's, it's tough of how you get management leadership to start seeing these things and, you know, a give them the knowledge mm. and then also how to make them get a little bit outraged about the current state of what they've probably been managing over. You have to see, see the world as a mess. Yes. Everything's a mess. No matter how good it is, you have to view everything through the lens of a total disaster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, you know, and if it makes you outraged, it's still a disaster, even though it's a hundred times better than it was, you'll still probably do something about it. But if you kind of view it as, Hey, this is pretty good. Now you're probably not going to work to improve it. Hmm. Hmm. So those three things, knowledge, just understanding of how to actually go about solving a problem, the grit to see it through, and then the outrage to never stop, to, to, to see a never-ending mess in front of you uh, so that there is always opportunity to find problems and to go about solving them through, through action, taking action. Through taking action. Yeah, it should be an awesome session. Um, and yeah, I appreciate that... Um, you know that, that's that's a that's a terrific sort of framework to mm-hmm. not just view the UPF transformation, but really any lean transformation. Um, well, with that, uh, I'd like to thank you again, Andrew, for joining me here on the podcast, and uh, 
Looking forward to seeing you in California. Uh, actually, in just about 10 weeks, April 6th to the 7th. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing you in sunny California. All right. Thank you, Matt. I, uh, once again, appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in California. And, and definitely, uh, when you have some time, uh, stop by again and, and sort of see what else has changed. Yeah, look forward to that. Thanks again to Andrew for joining me on the podcast today. And thanks as always to Lori Moniz and Emma Ripp, producers of WLEI. And thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. Andrew and I hope to see you at the Lean Summit, which kicks off April 6th in Carlsbad, California. To learn more and register, head over to lean.org.